Good afternoon. God is good. Amen. Amen. It's good to see you here this afternoon as we get into the Word of God. And I'm sure um, you have your Bibles here with you as we study together. This afternoon, we're going to go in a different direction, a series that I'm currently doing entitled The Mystery of Babylon Revealed. The Mystery of Babylon Revealed. And the first sermon I'm presenting is entitled, There Can Only Be One. There Can Only Be One. I invite you to turn me to opening text, Matthew chapter 20, in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. You all have these handouts here. If you're not, they're handing them out of the door because we're going to refer to this as a lot of history and going back to the Reformation and so forth. So Revelation chapter, I mean, Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. In fact, we're going to start off with reading a quote here. And Wiley has the history of the Reformation Describing the definition of Protestantism. Now, the protest was against two different things. And I'm going to read what it says here. It says, This protest opposes two abuses of man in matters of faith. The first is the intrusion of the civil magistrate or the civil government. And the second, the arbitrary authority of the church. Instead of these abuses, Protestantism sets the power of conscience above the magistrate and the authority of the Word of God above the visible church. In other words, the two abuses of the papacy in the Dark Ages that was protested against um, from Protestantism is this, the abuse of the government and abuse of the church. Now, every denomination is quick to preach and to point out the abuse of the civil government, right? But when it comes to the abuse of the authority of the abuse of the church, all denominations are quiet on this subject. And the reason why denominations are silent is because each and every church is ready and willing to exercise and enjoy that very abuse. Throughout all of history, you're going to be seeing this, and we're going to look a little bit at this from the Word of God and throughout history. You see, every new Protestant church that began to the Dark Ages, they broke off from the Mother Church because they themselves felt they're oppressed by the Mother Church and the, the freedom of conscience, they did not have the freedom of conscience that they knew God had given them, the God-given right. So they broke off. But every single church that broke off from the Mother Church to get away from that abuse developed the same attributes as their mother. Every single one of them. You see, beloved, why is this important? Because how we see, and I'm talking as Seventh-day Adventists here, how we see God's church treat God's people will affect our picture of who we see God to be. Is that not true? If we see a church authority abusing their authority, I mean, how many of you ever been, don't raise your hand, but think about it, how many have ever heard by authority within a church, a leader in a church, or an elder, or a pastor, or any type of leader within a church? I've been hurt, some, or know of someone who's been hurt by someone in the church. 
You don't have to raise your hand. But because that is true, our picture, many people say, I don't want to go to that church because my picture of, of God has been altered by what they have done. Is that not true? So our movement as a church began because we, we were to continue and finish the reformation that began in the dark ages and get away from the two abuses. Not only that we preach, yes, we preach the National Sunday Law and what's going to happen to the United States of America, but to get away from the abuse and the authority, abuse of power that even happens within the churches of, of today. So as we study the authority of the church from the Word of God, may the Holy Spirit help us to see our great need as a church. Let us pray. Father, we humbly ask for your Holy Spirit that you may help us to see what you want us to see this afternoon. And may Jesus be lifted up and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. How did Jesus say the world was to run their businesses and government? Notice the Bible says in 25. It says, But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes, now princes is referring to the leaders of the world, the leaders of the Gentiles. Gentiles represent those in the world. The leaders of the world, they exercise dominion over them. So according to the world, the way they run their businesses, the way they run the governments, is that they exercise their dominion over them, and they that are great, those who are in leadership positions, they exercise authority over upon them. Now the definition of authority is the right to command and enforce obedience because of one's office, station, or relation. In other words, they can enforce obedience because of their position. But notice what Jesus says in the next verse. I'm going to read again verse 25, and I'm going to read 26. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But verse 26, But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your, what is that word? Minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your what? Servant. In other words, God's, the only position of God's church, the only position of God's people within the church is the position of a servant this morning, beloved. Amen? Not to usurp and exercise the power and authority over one person's conscience and their mind. That was the primary principle of the, the Great Reformation. In other words, Jesus forbids all Christians the right to command and enforce obedience upon any other person. And you see, beloved, the papacy is the ultimate creation of one person controlling the mind of another person. In the last days, there's going to be a point where they're going to be causing, they're going to be forcing, controlling the whole point in government, the two governments of God. Um, the governments of there is the government of God and the government of Satan. And Satan's government is based upon force. And there's a spirit prophecy quote talks about, there are three things we need to learn. And referring to the Righteousness by Faith message of 1888. She says, we need to understand God's character, His government, and his purposes. God structured an organization, and I realized I came to this realization that when I was doing evangelism within our churches, and God blessed the churches, 
and people came in and great revivals would happen and we do a lot of um week of prayers and great revivals but every single time that we reach that spiritual high it always comes down and then we have to go to our little next spiritual fix to go to another high and i came to the conclusion that as i studied back what was the righteousness by faith message and i studied the spirit of prophecy and the word of god and then what the pioneers were saying i realized that the message was threefold and it was focused also upon the church structure and the church organization for destruction organization can either let allow the holy spirit to come in or it can hinder the holy spirit upon god's people and if we're just going to a cycle of going to a spiritual fix to the next one we're just spinning our wheels and so as a minister i realized that the way the church is and it doesn't matter when you're preaching present truth or you're doing a great evangelistic work it still comes down to the point is a structure an environment that is conducive to spiritual growth that people will grow spiritually and man will not get in the way of hindering and stopping the holy ghost beloved amen so god wants his people to be an environment that people will grow spiritually amen don't raise your hand but has anyone ever gotten in the way of hindering your spiritual growth, maybe? Some decision made on a church board or elders' decision or other people around you who have control, or even your parents or your friends. Have they hindered you in some way? There's a question I'd like to ask ourselves as we go through our study here. Turn to me to Matthew 23, a few chapters later. Matthew chapter 23, verse 8 to 12. Now, what did Jesus say concerning his church and his leadership? Matthew chapter 23, verse 8 to 12. Notice what it says here. But be not called rabbi for how many? Does the Bible say? One. One is your master, even Christ. In other words, there can only be one master, and his name is Jesus Christ here this afternoon. Amen? And what does the Bible say about us? The Bible says, and all of you are what? What does the Bible say? Brethren, brothers and sisters. In other words, all of us are equal in the eyes of God. Amen? We're all on the same level, and that's what the Bible is saying here. We're all equal in the eyes of God. Now, turning me to Proverbs chapter 30, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 21. Going on this subject, what is the first thing in which the earth is disquieted with and which it cannot bear? What does the Bible say about that? What is that the earth cannot handle, it cannot take to see done? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 21 and 22. The Bible says, for three things the earth is disquieted, it cannot bear. And for four which it cannot bear. And it says here, what is the first thing it mentioned? The Bible says in verse 22, for a servant when he what? Reigneth. We're all equal. We're all on the same level. And it doesn't matter whether you're a church member or whether you're a pastor or your conference president, we're all equal. And in fact, the Bible says we're all servants of the Most High Living God. Amen? We're all equal on the same level. And so the Bible says here that the thing that the earth cannot handle is when a servant 
usurps the position of Christ himself and becomes a master over another servant. It cannot bear. And why is that? Because the history throughout all of ages and the dark ages proves that whenever the church abuses its authority as its leadership and the position that they use as priests or pastors or whatever you may call it, whenever that has happened, it always has led to the persecution of God's true people, beloved. Amen? So throughout of history, it is proven all the way from back from the New Testament times. And it's a clear record. History has proven true that this is true. The earth cannot bear the blood that has been, has been shed because of the abuse. Not only the abuse of the civil government, beloved, which we always focus on, but the abuse of the church upon God's people, chosen people. And in the last days... Yes, it would be America in prophecy. But push and promote it by the Protestant churches in America and push and promote it by the papacy overseas. The church is the main instigator, instigator of what's going to be going on in the future. I wanted to share with these quotes here, the second and third quote. Look at your, look at your handout here. Notice, this is a bold prince. Notice what it says here from Desire of Ages, page 759. Notice what the Spirit of Prophecy says. God could have destroyed, I'm going to go before, God could have destroyed Satan and his sympathizers as easily as one can cast a pebble to the earth. But he did not do this. Rebellion was not to be overcome by force. Compelling power is found only under Satan's government. The Lord's principles are not of this order. His authority rests upon goodness, mercy, and love, and the presentation of these principles is a means to be used, beloved. Amen? We're not to use force and control and abuse of our authority and power to get people to do what we want them to do. That is not part of God's government. And notice the next quote here. It says here, that the gloomy shadows might be lightened and that the world might be brought back to God. Satan's deceptive power was to be broken. How? It says here, this could not be done by force. The exercise of force is contrary to the principles of God's government. Amen? See, God has a government. And why would people want to be part of a government that they would never be happy in? If the government is based upon force, it reflects on who God is, his picture is. And it reveals that a God, if a God is of force and in control, then that's not the government that I want to be part of. But the spirit of prophecy is clear that this government is not based upon force this afternoon. He desires only the service of love. And love cannot be commanded. It cannot be worn by force or authority. Only by love is love awakened. To know God is to love him this afternoon. Amen? In other words, what is it about Jesus that made him so attractive that people wanted to follow him? It is not a government that you feel compelled and forced to do. It's a government that God wins you and he wins your heart that you would love him and then you would serve him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the kind of God I want to serve. Amen? 
How many want to serve that God? Let me hear you say amen. Amen? amen. So that's the God that we ought to serve, a God that is filled with compassion and love that we, wanna, we willingly want to serve Him. And God loves us, so He awakens that love inside of us. And that's why even in God's church, see, the mystery of Babylon revealed is the principles of the papacy, that I believe that we have certain people and a system that has adopted the principles of the control and force of leadership within God's church. That's what I'm talking about this morning. And that is why the elders, the church board, and the pastors, and I'm talking about myself, who are only servants are not to use the positions to command obedience over the church members, beloved. Amen? And that is why also the church members, church board and elders who are only servants are not to complain about or dictate to the pastor what he should be doing and what he should not do also. Amen? There was a realization as I prepared for my messages. I realized you know, something about when you prepare for messages and you study the Word of God, there's something there that when you study it, God comes across and then He takes what you're studying. I know you experience this. And he takes what you're studying and He applies it to your own life. Then you realize that what you were doing and your lifestyle, how you've been living, and also how you've been treating others. And as I prepared for this, I came to the realization of this. And that is this, that I had been abusing my authority as a pastor over the church members. And it just happened this recently. It was a humbling thing I, to go before my two churches. And I went before, and in the middle of my sermon, I, I apologized to each of my churches. and said, I want to apologize for usurping the position of Jesus Christ on this earth. was dead silence. <laughs> one of my churches, one of the elders, said, Pastor, in what, in what way? He yelled from way in the back, what way, Pastor? I <laughs> said, for taking the position of Christ, of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's very similar. The conviction of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of a human being can very, be very similar. The same guilt can be felt. The same obligation, the same so-called conviction that one may feel can be manipulated by a human being. Is that not true? And so you can use manipulation to get people what you, to do what you want to do, even if it's right to do. But manipulation is not a good motive to serve God, beloved. Amen? Or even to do what is right, what we learned this morning. Manipulation is not the right word. Or even the right words or comments or way, body gestures, whatever it may be. That is not God's way for God's people to do and obey the commandments of God, beloved. Amen? God's way is an obedience truly of the heart. One who has been converted, who has known God, therefore to know God, they love God. And to love God is to obey God and all what He asks us to do, beloved. Amen? So I humbly realized that I needed to repent before my churches 
and ask Him for forgiveness. There can only be one Master, and His name is Jesus Christ, beloved. Amen? I know there's a lot more, and this is an introductory, but really the position that a lot taking from the papacy, the Roman Catholic Church, that the priest is the mediator between God and man, a lot of those principles sometimes seep into our own churches. That the minister knows it all. If you have a problem, go see the minister. Right? If you have any questions, go see the minister. See what he thinks. He has all the answers. Why? Because only God has all the answers. And he knows the right answers. He knows what to do, when to do it, how to do it. My question, have we created our own mini-gods within our churches? The motivation for serving God is to love Him. No man was to take the mediatorship of Christ upon this earth, but only Jesus Christ between us and God the Father. Amen? Let's go to our next text here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Now, what is Jesus Christ to the church? Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. As we continue our Bible study this afternoon, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says, And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. Now, where is the seat of all authority, intelligence, and decisions found in yourself or in a body? Where is it found? In the head or in the members of the body? Where is it found? In the head. In other words, it is the head which is Christ and not in the body where all authority, intelligence, and decisions are made. Therefore, it is the head only and never the body who can command and enforce obedience. For no Christian has any authority to command or legislate for anyone else. In fact, it is dangerous to use the power of intellect, authority, and force even to overcome what is considered to be evil, right? Let's look at your quote, this handout here. Let's look at the next quotation on the inside left. Look at the dangers of what control and force and authority can accomplish. And tell me if you've ever seen this before. Whenever the power of intellect, remember that, of authority or of force is employed and love is not manifestly present, the affections and will of those whom we seek to reach assume a, what is that word? Defensive, repelling position, and their strength of resistance is increased. In other words, whenever we try to use authority, and someone was, told, someone was saying this afternoon, they like to volunteer the information to people, right? You ever done that before? You ever seen the reaction by trying to volunteer information and trying to um, tell people what they need to do? A lot of times the spirit of prophecy, it comes true that they assume a defensive, repelling position, that they're very defensive and they close up, that in the future you're going to have a very hard time to reach them in the future, right? That is the spirit of the papacy. The mystery of Babylon, the control of one's mind, one person's mind over another, whether it be a pope or the, over the people, whether it be the priest over the people, whatever, some legislation of the, the government over the people, whatever it may be, it is the spirit of the papacy. Whether it's in the papacy, whether it's in the United States of America, or whether it's in God's remnant church, it's still the spirit of the papacy, beloved. Amen? 
And that spirit is not to be found in God's remnant church at all. God has expressly forbidden that spirit to pervade within a kingly power within God's church. God works out of love, beloved, not out of force and control and authority. This afternoon, in what areas is the church subject to Christ? Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24. Notice the Bible says, Therefore, the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wise be to their own husbands in how many things? Everything. So, just as the wives are subject to the husbands in everything, so is the church to be subject to Christ in everything also, right? According to this text. Therefore, the church is subject, not ruler. It is hers to obey, not to command. She is to obey Christ, not to command men. And that is why that anything that is claiming to be the church is positively forbidden to exercise that authority. For this satanic reign and authority of the church is denounced by inspiration to be the mystery of iniquity. The control of the papacy of one's mind against them to follow one's own dictates of one's own conscience is the spirit of the papacy, beloved. Whether it takes a form of a certain church building or not a church building, it is still that same spirit. And God is not calling us to be dictators and to control and to manipulate. And some of us are very good at that, beloved, right? We can manipulate, we can control, especially in a church setting. We know exactly the right words to make somebody feel that guilt that we are creating. We can get our husbands to do what we want them to do. We can get our wives to do what we want them to do. We become so used to human, using human manipulation and control that we've forgotten about something called the Holy Ghost this afternoon, beloved. Amen? And when we believe that there is a God, that there is a Holy Ghost, we will trust more in the power of God rather than the power of man. For cursed is a man that trusted a man, but blessed is a man that trusted in the Lord. And beloved, what our churches need more today is an environment where the Holy Spirit is allowed to work freely within God's remnant church. Not, beloved, God wants to bless his remnant church. I really believe that. And the problem is not God. And beloved, do not blame God this morning, this afternoon. God is not to blame for the lack of the presence of the Holy Spirit. There is a famine in the land, and it's not because God is at fault. It's because it's, there's sin in this world, and because you and me are here, and we've chosen to follow, not to follow God. So God is calling you and me to obey Him. And we hinder the Holy Spirit. We hinder God from working. Many times God wants to pour his blessing. God does not say, I'm going to bless this church and I'm going to bless that church. God wants to bless all churches. But the problem is that man gets in the way and we hinder the Holy Spirit by our own decisions. You know how many times I've seen this happen over and over and over again? Holy Spirit's inspiring someone within the church to do a ministry within the church. Somebody said, no, 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 we, we, they shouldn't be doing that. That room was never used for that ministry before. I've seen it happen so many times in the nominating committee, the church board. People hurt 
because people are getting away with the Holy Ghost. I feel compelled. I feel called to this ministry, the children's ministry, and yet somebody comes in there and they say something and they stop the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a one-time event. That person, forever scarred, told, leaves the church and no longer is, becomes a vessel for the use of God's power. And you power that one upon another, and another and another. Then you have a whole church system that is controlling and manipulating and not allowing God to where God wants to bless, but he does not allow because we are the ones that fall, beloved. Amen? And if God is the one to fall, if God's not blessing his church and say, why God, why aren't you blessing God's remnant church? It's not looking like the Bible prophecy of the last day church. Then we're going to end up blaming God that his character is at fault. His government is at fault. And we look at the church government, we say, that's God's government. Beloved, that is not truly God's government if man is in control. God's government is based upon the word of God here this afternoon. Amen. You believe what I'm saying? Let me hear you say amen. 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 Notice what happens to our young people. Let's read this quote here. I'm going to just read you about the quote in the inside left page. It says, this is about raising children. Too much management is as bad as too little. There's a balance. Now, God has called his people, by the way, to address issues within the church. And we're called to address problems and to stand for what is right. Definitely. But too much management is as bad as too little. The effort to break the will of a child is a terrible mistake. Minds are constituted differently. While force may secure outward submission, the result with many children is a more determined rebellion of the heart. Even should the parent or teacher succeed in gaining the control he seeks, the outcome may be no less harmful to the child. And going to the next quote, it says, For the beast, the master is mind, judgment, and will. This method sometimes employed in the training of children makes them little more than automations. Mind, will, conscience are under the control of another. It is not God's purpose that any mind should be thus dominated. Those who weaken or destroy individuality assume a responsibility that can result only in evil. While under authority, the children may appear like well-drilled soldiers. They may look good. They may walk down the aisle. They may look very good on the outside. But when the control ceases, the character will be found to be lack strength and steadfastness. Having never learned to govern himself, the youth recognizes no restraint except the requirements of parents or teacher. This remove, he knows not how to use his liberty and often gives himself up to indulgence that proves his ruin. Now, coming from one of our colleges, it's so interesting that a lot of these Adventist children coming to our school and they just go crazy. Because I was one of them. <laughs> But to see that it was all an external form. And you know, it's a humbling experience. I have a daughter. My greatest fear, you know, being a pastor's child, I'm, so, I'm afraid for her life. And I'm talking this life, I'm talking spiritual life. Just seeing the trend of what happens to pastor's children. And my main concern is, 
Yes, we're training her. Yes, we're disciplining her. Yes, we're leading her on. But my main concern is that she will give her heart to God, that she not be dependent upon an outward mere obedience from mom and dad or parent or teacher, whatever it may be, but that she have an internal obedience on the heart that she will obey God because the law of God is written on her heart, beloved, this afternoon. Amen? And that is what we need to do. And what is a humbling experience as a pastor, as a parent, but even as a pastor, as a, as a leader in a church, to realize that you cannot regenerate another person's heart. I can do my best, but what I can even need to do is I need to get on my knees and I need to pray that God will convert my child. God will, will reveal his love through me as a vessel and that somehow she will give one day her heart to Jesus Christ, beloved. Amen? And therefore, no external mere obedience. And the Sunday law on the last day is exactly what that is. It is a mere law on the outside, demanding only an external obedience, regardless of whether they want to go in church to Sunday or not. It doesn't matter to them. All they want is a mere external obedience. But God's people in the last days will have an obedience from the heart, we learn in Romans, right? The law written on the hearts, on the inside, they'll be transformed. They'll experience a regenerated heart. And the Spirit prophecy says this. It's a beautiful quote. She says that Jesus was not concerned with some of the mere outward. He was focused on the regeneration of the heart. And that's why they called him a sinner, eating with all these sinners. I'm calling him eating all these sinners and wine bibbers. Because he was focused on the transformation of the heart rather than the micromanaging of someone's life. I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 in your Bibles. What was prophesied to rise among the early Christian church? Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Paul is talking to a group of people. I'm just going to show in verse 17 who he's talking to. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. So he called the leaders of the church. Okay, and what did he say to them? Look at verse 29 and 30. The Bible says, Paul says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And also, talking to the elders, of your own selves, among the leadership, shall men arise, speaking perverse things, that's not biblical, to draw away disciples after themselves, beloved. Amen? So you see that within this church, people are going to rise, speaking perverse things, to draw people after themselves. See, I don't even really know about the early church history, but the same church that Jesus worshipped in, the same church that the apostles worshipped in, evolved into the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church was not a separate church that here the apostles began the early church and then the Roman Catholic Church was a total separate entity. It was an evolved, it evolved from the, real, the original apostolic church. And what happened, the prophecy given here by Paul came true that among the leadership 
would arise men among the elders, would arise men speak, speaking perverse things to draw people after themselves, claiming themselves that they are God, taking the place of God. And that's exactly what happened in the early church. The elders arose within the church. And as they rose, they all rose to distinction and they started hovering over the churches. And the elder became the bishop over each church. And then there came a question about, of all these churches, of all these churches, who's going to have the supreme place among all the other churches? Kind of following how the disciples were fighting about who's going to be number one. And then Rome came along and said, well, of all the churches, we've had three apostles visit us at our church. Therefore, we're going to take the priority of all the churches. And, and that's why to this day, the Pope is called the first bishop of Rome. Hmm. So whenever the elders, the original word, actually the original word for bishop, elder, pastor, is actually the same word in the Greek. And so when the elders, the leadership of the church, took the authority that was given to God and God alone, and they take that power, and they start mediating for man, and with that system, wherever it may be, is the spirit of the papacy, the mischief of iniquity. And God is calling his church, his people, away from the mystery of iniquity, from that spirit of the papacy, beloved. Especially in these last days. Now I want you to look what happened. What, which acts of the church are controlled by the bishops or the elders? Look at the next quotation here. This is actually taken, um, Cyprian. He, he, he said this. He said, The church is founded upon the bishops. And every act of the church is controlled by these same rulers. That is what the bishops did. Now, how did one get labeled as a heretic of an offshoot? Look at the next quote. Neither have heresies arisen nor schisms originated from any other source than this. That God's priests, and might I add pastors, is not obeyed. Hmm. So you consider an offshoot, you consider um, not telling, you're not considered a heretic if you do not obey and listen to the leadership. Now listen to this, the next quote. How did the bishops determine whether you were in a church or whether you're not in a church? Listen, it says, Whence you ought to know that the bishop is in a church, and a church in a bishop, and if any man be not with the bishop, he is not in the church. So that the person that determined whether you be fellowship, this fellowship, or you stay in a church, was dependent upon the bishop, the leadership within the church. Now, before we become prideful of the speck in another church's eye, let us look at the beam in our own eye this afternoon, beloved. I'm going to share with you in the next quotation here five steps of apostasy that was given to us as a church by Lothbrough in his book, The Church is Organization, Order, and Discipline. This was a book which our pioneers, which those who began this great movement, this was the book they used for church structure and church organization. Notice what it says here, five steps to apostasy. Now, first of all, a creed is something that is anything that is man-made that is written on paper. The first step is this. Forming a creed 
expressing their faith in man-made phrases instead of adhering to the word of God, word of the Lord. Now, let me just share with you the balance of that. They allow to state our fundamental beliefs on paper to distinguish us from other churches. But they said, but knowing they were scared for the future, that the future generations will forget the danger of having a man-made creed and using that rather than the word of God. So notice what they did. So the next step, you form a creed. The next is making that man-made creed a test of fellowship and denouncing all as heretics who would not assent to the exact wording of their creeds. Exact wording. Next step, making a creed a rule by which all heretics must be tried. Many were thus declared sinners whose faith was more in harmony with the direct statements of the Bible than that of those who decreed against them. Right? That's, history has proven that to be true. Four, constituting themselves a tribunal for the trial of heretics and excluding from their fellowship all who would not assent to their creeds, not content to debar such from church privileges in this world, they declared them subjects for the lake of fire. They disfellowship those who would not follow the exact wordings of the creed that man had created rather than the word of God. The papacy did this, and we were getting away from that. That's the whole point our movement became to existence. We believe in the Bible to get away from human wordings, exact wordings of creeds. And five, the last step of apostasy, which will happen in the last days, by the way, once again. Having thus kindled a hatred in their own hearts against all who did not conform to their creeds, they next invoked and obtained the aid of the civil power to torture and kill with sword, with hunger, with flame, and with beasts of the earth, those whom they declared unfit to remain in the world. And beloved, today, have we placed our documents of faith, and there are good things in there, but have we placed the documents of faith, such as the 28 fundamental beliefs, the church manual, even certain church leaders within the church on the doctrinal positions, have we placed all of these above the word of God today is my question. You know how many times I've heard in board meetings or with church members, it said that we should do this because the church manual said so. And beloved, you know what? I've read the church manual from cover to cover. And times I said, I've read the manual, I've never seen it in there. <laughs> but they're quoted believing that it is in there. And the final authority rests with the church manual. I cringe every time we hear that, well, we should believe a certain doctrine because a certain leader within the church. But beloved, there are many different leaders that believe different things. And is authority based upon a person or is it based upon the word of God here this afternoon? Can we trust in man-made creeds? Look at your next quote. This is taken from George Knight from Ministry Magazine, October 1993, page 10. And notice what he says. And my point of this sermon is not to determine who is right and who was right. But I want to make a point. He says, most of the founders of Seventh-day Adventism, he's a great church historian for the Seventh-day Adventist church. Most of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventism would not be able to join the church today if they had to subscribe to the denomination's fundamental beliefs. Hmm. What I want to share with you this afternoon is this. 
our fundamental beliefs, and I'm not here to determine who is right or wrong, but our fundamental beliefs are different than what they used to be. The church manual has been modified thousands of times. Our doctrinal positions over the years have changed. But my Bible tells me in Malachi 3, verse 6, it says, For I am the Lord, I change not, beloved. Amen? And it's for this very reason that we should not put our trust in the writings of man, but instead we should trust in the Word of God this afternoon, beloved. Amen? We should trust in the Word of God. And the spirit of prophecy is clear. The next quote, it says, The Bible and the Bible alone is to be our creed, beloved. Amen? The Bible and the Bible alone, we were used to be known as the people of the book. And the danger here of depending upon positions that are, have already been hashed out by the leaders of the church is this. And that's exactly what's happening to our church. They already worked out a position, and therefore I'm going to believe that position automatically. And I don't need to study what the Bible has to say, because I believe what the statements say. But if the Bible is only created, this is all there is to it, our, our experience, then I don't know what it says, because it's not clear. Which means I need to study for myself to see what it said is true or not. I need to understand the reason for the hope that is within me, right? But if someone else up there has worked it out for us, then why should I even open this book? The system is creating a way where people feel comfortable and too relaxed. They don't have to hash out their work and their decisions and the doctrines and the standards as our leaders once did. And thus we have a generally very weak membership within our church. The spirit of force is contrary to the government of God. And you know, within every single one of us, there is a spirit of force and control and abuse of authority. In my life, because of my, my past, my relationships before my wife I currently married to came along was based upon the very worldly mentality of getting the other person to do what you want them to do. Human manipulation, selfishness, trying to get what you want out of your marriage or, or your relationship or whatever it may be. And so much, so much of a relation where you're trying to get as much as you out of that relationship and your girlfriend or boyfriend is trying to get as much out of that relationship or wife or husband. And this is a pulling down of that relationship. But beloved, God's, God's relationship is totally different. God's relationship is based upon love, it's based upon giving. And if I am in a relationship where I'm giving and my spouse is giving, where your girlfriend is giving, or your boyfriend is giving, you're building a relationship that is building up, not being torn down. Do you see that? You're giving to your spouse. Your spouse is giving to you. You're building up. You're giving, giving, giving. And it's based upon a giving and serving one another rather than taking and being the Lord and master over one another. And so our relationship now is based upon, and I know we fail at times, to be honest, but there is a security knowing this, that our relationship is based and founded upon the freedom that is offered to the government of Jesus Christ, beloved. Amen? 
Because Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary and he gave us his freedom. He sacrificed up there to give us his freedom. And you shall know the truth, beloved, about the God's government and the truth shall set you free this afternoon, beloved. Amen? The truth will set you free and it's good. it is a blessing to experience, not only to know, but to experience the truth of God's government and how your home is run, how your relationship is run. You will never be happy until you have a relationship, until your relationship with your friends, your family, with your husband, your wife, your children. The government God will pervade not only in God's church, but it will be seen within God's people in a practical level, in the home, in a mighty way, I believe, in the last days. God's people will reveal God's government and how they treat one another in the freedom that they offer to one another. So this afternoon, my prayer is that we will learn about the freedom of God. For when we look into the cross, we see a God who suffered in letting his son die for us, but yet he grants us the freedom to reject him. On the cross, we see the cross, we see a God who died to set us free, but then we see one who gives us liberty to choose to stay in bondage. When we look at the cross, we see a picture of who God really is, and yet he grants us the choice to believe Satan's lies about him. That is the God we serve, is the God of freedom. He offers you and me the choice to choose whom you will serve this day. That is the God of freedom that I serve. How about you? And so this afternoon, I make appeal to you. How many you want not only to experience it, but you want to give this freedom to those who are near you. If that's your desire, then when you say amen with me, amen? amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your blessings and mercy. And may you reveal to us in a clear way your freedom you offer in Jesus Christ. We thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.